Very good morning to each and every one of you. I noticed that we all got the memo, either red or pink, this morning. So uh, I am sure it's not a coincidence. So happy Chinese New Year to those of you I have not wished yet. Um, and I'm glad and I'm thankful that all of you can be here this morning despite the festivities. Probably your families have something planned. And also for, for those of you who are online, thank you for joining us despite not being able to be here physically, but you're still with us digitally as well. So I'd like to start off this morning's sermon by saying that change, you know, change is probably the only constant that we face in life. Very, very often we come across this quote, change is the only constant, and I think for most of us, we can agree with this statement. Um, in our lifetime, I would say we've experienced a lot of change, especially if you've been around for the past 30 years, 40 years or so, you probably noticed that life has changed for you dramatically um, with the prevalence of the internet and social media. Um, and of course, if you've lived longer, maybe 70, 80 years, you've probably witnessed a lot more change. And you know, what more, for example, if we talk about 2,000 years worth of change? In the past 2,000 years, there have been many uh, wars that were fought, some won, some lost. Uh, many countries that have risen and fallen, plenty of scientific discoveries, inventions that were made. But let me tell you, brethren and friends, the one thing that has not changed is what we are going to be looking into today, this morning. The Word of God that we have in our hands, in our phones, has not changed one bit. In Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. In February, we are going to be embarking on a new theme. And this theme will help us to consider what important messages we need to be reminded of, despite being separated by roughly 2,000 years from the time that the Bible was originally written and put together. We're going to be looking at authors such as Paul and Peter, but today we're going to be examining the writings of the Apostle John. More so, his letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. For those of us who are not so familiar, for those of us who are not initiated with the Apostle John, he's one of the apostles who followed Jesus around very closely during his earthly ministry. Some would say that John was part of the inner circle of Christ. He was someone who was very close to the action. In fact, John was also known as the disciple which Christ loved. Out of all the books in the New Testament, John wrote five of them, one of the Gospels, three epistles, and also the book of Revelations. So today, in our topic, what if John wrote us a letter? What if John were still walking and talking with us today and, and seeing the changes that has happened over the past 2,000 years? What key reminders can we pluck from his writings that will benefit us as 21st century listeners as 21st century Christians. So as you open your Bibles this morning, I invite you to bookmark your Bible or your app to the book of 1 John. We're going to be hovering, we're going to be flipping very actively around that area. So if you're ready, let me start by asking you this very simple question. What do you think about when you consider the word fellowship? When you think about the word fellowship, I'm going to give you another 10 seconds to, to conjure an image in your mind, 
What do you think about when you think about the word fellowship? Okay, your time is up. Perhaps you think about this picture, maybe, or something similar. A bunch of brethren sitting around a table, enjoying coffee and drinks. Um, no prizes for guessing how long ago this picture was taken. You can probably guess by the darkness, whiteness of some hair, you know, how slim, how prosperous some people might be. This picture was taken seven years ago, right? Seven years ago. But I think when we think about the word fellowship and what it means to us today, this, this is the, the, the association that we most commonly have with the word fellowship. Oh, I'm going for home fellowship with the KK brethren. I'm going to home fellowship with the Klang brethren, or I'm assembling with the youth. We're going to have fellowship lunch together. More often than not, this is the way in which we use the word fellowship. And I think, perhaps, over many years of use, we have unintentionally diluted the word fellowship. It's meant to be a lot more than eating and meeting at a member's place. When you consider the word fellowship in the Bible, it actually comes from the Greek word koinonia. And it carries the idea of a partnership. You are participating in a common activity. It's as if you are going to do business with somebody and you agree that we're going to set up this new venture. You're going to pay 50% of the capital and I'm going to pay the balance 50% of the capital. And that's the partnership. The both of you go into business together. You operate the business together. Whatever money you, you gain or lose, you share that together. Um, that, that is the partnership that we are looking at here. People sharing something in common. That's the idea that fellowship has. Brother Calvin read for us 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 earlier. And let's read it again. I have it on the screen for you. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. John is referring to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who we have witnessed in person, we declare to you. And he goes on and he will describe to us two types of fellowship that you also may have fellowship with us. Okay, so that's fellowship with the brethren, with us. But read on. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus. So certainly, when you open the pages of the Bible, you do find the apostles getting together, enjoying a meal, breaking bread together. They go around from house to house. Yes, you do see that. Next chapter 2. But I want us to focus here in the second part of verse 3. John says, And truly and surely, indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with Son, His Son, Jesus Christ. Brethren and friends, that is the true essence of fellowship. It's not just going from house to house and, and having makan together, but really, as Christians, the fellowship that we ought to be having in mind is primarily our common place our partnership with God. As Christians, we are already in this committed partnership with God. As we have already committed our lives to Him, we've given our lives to Him, we've submitted our lives to Him, we are in this partnership with God. But just like any partnership, maybe someone might pull out. Maybe someone doesn't carry his part. Maybe someone is slacking behind or what we call a sleeping partner. How can we know? if we are still in partnership, in fellowship with God. Let me put it to you that John makes it very clear for all of us in the audience here. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 to 7. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 to 7. Let's read together. 
This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I think John makes it very plain and simple for us. You are either in the light or in the darkness. And you know that you are in the light or in the darkness. And many times in Christianity, when you read the Bible, you find that you only have two options. You are either here or there. You are either right or wrong, sinful or righteous, Christ or mammon. And here we have light and darkness. There's a verse that illustrates this very, very beautifully in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 Corinthians, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 to 15. We're going to read from the writings of Paul, and he's going to describe to us a very similar idea of fellowship. And there are five words that he uses here to describe this partnership that we have with God. Verse 14: Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? Paul uses five different words to describe this partnership, this fellowship, this sharing that we have. And Christians from this verse and also from 1 John, we know and we ought to be able to tell the difference between these two options. Just like how oil cannot mix with water. If we are people of the light, we know what the darkness is and we will stay away from the darkness. So John uses that illustration very beautifully in telling us that we need to walk in the light. And as long as we are in the light, it's impossible for darkness to be around us. There is no middle ground. It's either you are in the light or you are not. The sad thing is that sometimes we don't really consider God to be our partner. Sometimes God is more like your econ man. When your aircon spoil, you give him a call and you come and fix it or your yearly service, you know. Maybe sometimes you treat God like one of your, your kaki, your best buddies or your high school friends that you meet during Chinese New Year. Once a year, we're all back in the hometown. Let's go and hang out and have reunion. But only when you have good things to share, then maybe you go to God and say, oh, thank you God for, for this. That's not really the kind of partnership that God is looking for with us. When we partner God, and we are in fellowship with God, we are, as John puts it, we are walking with Him in the light. We are with God every step of the way in our daily living, in our decisions, whether big or small, in our arguments, whether big or small, in our marriages, in our careers. And you will not regret choosing God as your partner because He will always be there. He will never fail you. He will never lie. And you will always succeed when God is your partner. So. As we continue being in fellowship with one another as brethren, as we continue to meet and enjoy makan, and I'm, I'm told there's some makan after this as well, as we go around and enjoy fellowship with one another during Chinese New Year, as we go about having fellowship with one another, let's be reminded, true fellowship is not just with brethren, but more so with God and His Son, Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing I want to share with you this morning. True fellowship is partnership with God and Jesus Christ. Now, as we are still on the topic of change and as we talk about what has happened over the past 
2,000 years, there's, there's so many things that have changed, and we can talk about it for, for days and for weeks, but really, I think that the elephant in the room that we have to address more so than others is technological advancement. The rate at which technology has changed and evolved. Because of the introduction of the internet, it has allowed us to share, to store, and to learn faster than ever. Compared to what John had, and here's an illustration of what he probably had, they had people sitting down at the desk with pen and paper, and, and, and they have to write and write and write. And if they make a mistake, that's it. Scrap it, start from the beginning again. But today, if we make a mistake, backspace, control C, control V, copy and paste, everything is a lot easier. The, the tools that we have at our disposal gives us the power to communicate, to see each other in real time. Social media, if you want to keep up with what everybody is doing, it's changed the way that we live so dramatically. Especially when it comes to buying things. I'm just going to zoom into this idea of buying things for a while. It used to be the case that if you wanted to buy something, you had to step out of your house, go to the mall, go to the market, inspect the, inspect the goods, and then pay for them and bring them home. Nowadays, you just need to pick up your phone, go to Shopee, press three buttons, press pay, and it will be delivered literally to your doorstep. Life has changed. And sometimes when you're on the internet, you kind of get this feeling that when you're browsing for something, the ads and the recommendations that they give to you seem to fit too perfectly. Google, Facebook, they all seem to know what you are looking at and are interested in, and they recommend you those things. Seems like they're watching, and let me tell you, they are watching. Where am I getting here? Where am I getting at here? I'm trying to say this morning that we live in a life in the 21st century, a life of convenience, a life of ease. And, and our environment is such that it has become so easy for us to buy and buy and buy without even sometimes thinking about what we are buying. Many people, especially our young folks, they are tempted because of social media that's on their phones. They flip up Instagram and they can see their friends going on. Um, nice holidays. They buy fancy toys. Um, they have new clothes on social media. Maybe if you open Shopee or Grab, you have a lot of discounts, a lot of promotions, all in the effort to get you to spend and spend and spend. One person puts it very likely or very, very well. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. I don't know who said this, but I found it to be fairly true. For many people and the, their behavior and their lifestyle in this day and age. So let me tell you, the Apostle John has something to say about all of these that we have in the 21st century. Let's consider the words that he has to share with us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and verse 16. 1 John 2, 15 and 16. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. Again, here, I mentioned it earlier, you only have two options. You either love the world and suffer the consequences, or do not love the world and allow God to be in your heart. When we love the world, God's love cannot be in us. God's love cannot reign in us. That spot that belongs to God, we have given it to the world. That throne in your heart, the world, if it's sitting on that throne, God cannot occupy 
the same seat and you have that choice. Who are you going to give it to? I believe if John were alive today, this would be the emphasis. This would be the reminder that he has for us because we live in a time that is so easy, so you can slip into the trap of materialism and worldliness just, just like that. Sorry. Yeah, just like that. It's so easy to do if we are not careful. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19, John gives us a universal and timeless proof. Verse 19. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. It was true during the time when John wrote this letter. Let me tell you, it is true today as well. Again, two choices. If your eyes and your ears are not paying attention to godly things, automatically and by default, it would be worldly things. There, there is no middle ground. It's either you are on the side of God or on the side of the world. It's either we are loving God or loving the world. If we are not actively thinking about these things, if we are not actively guarding our hearts and minds against worldliness and materialism, we will very easily think that wealth or earthly wealth matters more than spiritual treasures in heaven. We will be tempted to think that getting into the best universities and colleges and schools and, and getting the scholarships matters so much more than getting a solid education in God's word. And we will be fed lies and we will believe the lies that it is better to get things rather than to give things to those who need it. When John wrote this book 2,000 years ago, he was battling against a whole host of false teachers. False teachers that were promoting the idea that um, you know, all material things are, are bad, for example. But one thing John leaves with the readers back in the day is this piece of wisdom in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. 1 John 4 verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Brethren and friends, in the same way, we have a responsibility. Let's challenge, let's question, let's be conscious about the choices that we make in our lives, what we spend on our career, which people we follow on Instagram, what channels we watch on YouTube, the people that we associate with and take advice from. Let's think critically. Are these things, are these people leading me towards the world or leading me towards God? Are they leading me towards the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life? Or are they leading me away from it? Are they there to fulfill my selfish desires or bring about godliness that God is looking for? I want to say this morning, brethren, the warning that, God, uh, that John has to share with us all the way from 2,000 years ago that is still relevant is let's beware. Let's be careful of materialism and worldliness. We need to make conscious decisions that lead towards godliness because if we don't, it's so easy to fall into that trap. The world makes it easy for you. Advertisements, temptations, apps, convenience, it's all around us to facilitate us falling into this endless cycle. Oh boy. Here's a reminder. Eight days from now, for all of you who have not arranged anything, or if you don't plan to, it's fine, it's okay. You know? But while we're on the topic of materialism, I want to talk about one of its other dangers. 
One of the dangers of materialism is that it's able to monetize and commercialize just about anything. It can turn anything into gold, into dollars and cents. Think about it. Christmas, or maybe New Year, or maybe birthdays, sometimes these celebrations and these festivals are, about, are more about what we buy, the gifts that we have, um, the fancy things that we are able to show off on social media, instead of who we are celebrating with. Instead of why we are celebrating these events, it, it's become more about what we do, what we have, and what we are able to show off. And unfortunately, when it comes to this, love is one of the victims of commercialization and monetization. The world celebrates Valentine's Day in eight days. And let me tell you, many people take it as an occasion to commemorate, to re reminisce, maybe to reignite their marital love, love between husband and wife, and it's a great thing. It's, it, there's a great meaning behind it. But unfortunately, the meaning of this special day is more often than not overshadowed by how big is the bouquet? How many roses? Uh? We've been married for 30 years. I need uh, 300 flowers. You know? Or how fancy the restaurant is? How many stars the hotel that we booked for our weekend stay? It's overshadowed by all these material things such that the idea of love that the world promotes becomes transactional becomes hollow, becomes meaningless. Again, when you think about marriage ceremonies, marriage ceremonies in the same way tend to be very exorbitant, expensive. And many couples overemphasize on how grand the event must be. You must have, have expensive clothes, maybe a tiara, I need a grand limousine entrance, live band, grand ballroom. And once again, the meaning behind marriage is lost and tainted when materialism creeps in and spoils it all. Love has become so transactional in our day and age. It's something that you can buy and sell. The message and advertising on Valentine's Day sometimes gives us that idea. But here's the other darker side of things. What about love that you can purchase online, like a service, like fast food? You know, Many people, when you go online, sometimes sites like Sites that promote pornography, OnlyFans, if you have an account, hookups on Tinder, they, they, they tell you, the world tells you, this is love. Pornography is love. Looking at scantily clad women on the internet, that's love that you can find this, in this day and age. But is that really the love that we deserve and the love that God promotes in the Bible? Is it just as easy as buying KFC? People take the easy way out. Let me tell you why. Because real love. True love takes work, takes sacrifice, but it is worth it. So, if John can speak today, he has taught a lot about love, especially in, in 1 John chapter 4, uh, 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 4, sorry. 1 John chapter 4, and in this entire chapter, John speaks a lot about love. And if he can speak to us today, I believe that he would remind us very clearly that the version of love that the world is promoting is not the love which Christians ought to be promoting and living with. I'm going to go through a couple of quick-fire questions just to answer a couple of one-on-ones about the love that John writes about in the Bible. Where does love come from? In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7-8, to 8, we read that love comes from God. Let me turn very quickly to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, 
And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. God is not just the source of love, but God is love. God is the definition of love. Everything about God is love. Everything He does and doesn't do is motivated and covered with love. How did God demonstrate His love for us? We say that God is love. How does He show that love for us? Through the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. There's no greater sacrifice than to give your own life, and Jesus did that. God's love is not just an empty transactional love that you can buy with money. You can't buy it because the price has been paid with the blood of Christ. Thirdly, how can we reflect? How can we show God's love one to another? And the answer in John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 12 to 16, is that we ought to love one another. Show that love to one another is, it is the best evidence that we can give to the world and to each other that God is with us and in us. Let me read for you 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, 16. Hmm. Verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. It's interesting that John starts out verse 12 by saying, No one has seen God. But brethren, if you love one another, people can see God in you. That's what he's trying to say. Verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. If God is love and we show love to other people, then God is with us and people can see that love and God is with us. Last but not least, why? Why should we even love God? Well, very simply put, because he first loved us. Naturally, we love people who love us, but that's not the, the extent of God's love, isn't it? Many times, when you think about how love is operationalized in our day and age, um, people look for someone worthy of their love. Men would go around looking for a lady that they think, oh, this would be a suitable uh, companion for me, for life. That's what dating is all about. You're finding someone that's suitable for you, that you can be with, can spend the rest of your life with, and you judge that this other person is worthy of your love and affection, and great. And if the two of you share a mutual um, interest in one another, fantastic. Maybe you'll get married. But that's not the way God operated. God loved us at our very lousiest, lowest, deepest, darkest moments. When we are undeserving of love, when we are people who, who, who don't feel like we are worthy, when we are unclean, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, God, we, are, we are told that God loved us even when we are not deserving of it. That's the unconditional sacrificial love that John talks about in his writings, not the empty and hollow ones that the world promotes. So, this morning, the world has claimed that they know what love is all about. The world has taken that word love and redefined it based on what they think people need nowadays. But let me tell you, brethren and friends, we need to take it back. We need to reclaim the word love and show it to the world in what 
it is meant to be in its purest, most beautiful form, the unconditional, sacrificial love that God has shown to us since He is love and He is the source of love. Love is not a service. Love is not about stuff and fluff. It is not only meant for those who deserve it, but it takes sacrifice, selflessness, and servanthood as well. I have these three things to share with you this morning. Three simple messages for you to consider from the writings of John. And as I close this morning's sermon, I want to share with you a couple more reminders, especially to our friends who have yet to obey the gospel. When we go back all the way to the first part of 1 John chapter 1, Brother Calvin read for us just now in verse 1 and verse 2, and here we have it again. I've bolded some of the words here as emphasis. Verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What I want to tell you this morning, my friends, is that this writer, John, is telling us that Jesus Christ is a real historical individual. He's not just some fairy tale that you made up, that he made up and wrote about that sounded great. But Jesus Christ was, was a real individual. He came from heaven 2,000 years ago, lived among us, breathed among us, taught us, and died for our sins. He has demonstrated that he is God. The question that John has for you is, Jesus Christ is real. What will you do about it? What will you do about it? For our brethren and friends, a couple of interesting verses from the book of 2 John and 3 John that we don't often read about. But verse 12 and verse 13 has a very common theme. Verse 12 in 2 John chapter 1, Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. And very similarly in, in, in 3 John as well, verse 13 to 14, John writes to Gaius and tells him the same thing. He wants to see them face to face. What I want to share with you, my brethren, this morning is that Christianity is not a religion that can thrive on Zoom. Christianity is not a religion that can thrive if we all decide to not come here. It, it just doesn't work that way. John, in, in his writings, has said here, I write to you in paper and ink. I can communicate with you, but I hope to come to you and I want to speak to you face to face. And that is the essence of our religion as well. Connecting with one another, considering one another, and loving one another when we are face to face. So we look forward to, to having everyone here in this assembly talk to you, to ask you how are you doing, to love you, and also to receive love from you. When we consider the great message of John and what he has shared with us, here are some of the key takeaways that I hope we'll be able to digest and remember. True fellowship is partnership with God and Jesus Christ. Not a 50-50 partnership, not a 60-40 partnership, but God gave 100% and we should give our 100% as well. Number two, let us beware of the dangers of materialism and worldliness. When we make decisions, let us be conscious, let us be intentional, and let us make those decisions that lead toward godliness rather than away from it. 
True Christian love is not about lust or fluff, but it comes from God who is the source and example of unconditional and sacrificial love. And last but not least, the reality of Jesus is undeniable. What will you do with him? This morning, we have selected a hymn of encouragement. It talks about trusting and obeying God. And I hope that this message will be able to resonate within your heart, but also move your hands and your legs into action. If you have a request or a need, please let it be known as we stand and sing the hymn of